Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm here at RMIT University in Melbourne and I'm presenting Talking Design. Welcome to 2014. I've got a very special guest with me to start the year off. It's Bruce Ramus, a lighting artist who has a fascinating history, um, started in Canada, went to um, the UK to work with the likes of people like David Bowie, who I'm sure you've heard of, and you too, and has now been living in Melbourne. So welcome to the show, Bruce. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Bruce, why lighting? How did you start getting into lighting? Because essentially you're self-taught. Yeah, I am. And I guess... uh I don't know really what led me to it, but I now know um, what it means to me. Um, really, lighting is um, is something we all respond to in our bodies, not in our minds. It's not something we necessarily think about, but it's something we all feel, and that really connects us all. Um, and from the outset, that's what I felt. I felt like it was a way to connect um was there a, a certain incident when you were a teenager that you experienced as lighting? Um, I was, uh, yeah, I, I, I was, I was a performer, and uh, felt like that was not quite right for me. I In felt, a band, yeah, and um, you know, most roadies are wannabe rock stars, as you probably know. But um, <laughs> um, the. Uh, Essentially, it was. I felt like the that I wanted to work visually. Um, that um, audio, it was missing something for me. I just wanted to be able to express myself visually, and um, light was a way to um, connect audio and artistic communication visually. So, so this would have been probably in the late seventies. Correct. Yeah. And what just bands were performing with very blank spaces behind them. Yeah. Or just, um, it wasn't so much. I saw that what I, what I saw out there actually inspired me, you know? So I saw, um, early queen tours, early Bowie tours, Zeppelin, um, even smaller bands, you know, um, that, uh, that were touring Canada. Um, and I just felt the energy of the lighting, this visual stimulus that was, um, was really, um, something that drew me in. Um, and I loved the music, was drawn to the music and the music was, I always felt was a little bit like a trip I was going on where the lights really stayed, um, kept me present. So, um, that's really what I guess I ended up being drawn to. I don't think that was particularly conscious, um, for a lot of my, um, early, early years. Um, but that's really now what I can see back from, in hindsight, I can see that that's what drew me. Bruce, how do you get into this area? I mean, what were the first few gigs that you actually took on and you thought, yeah, I'm forging a career here? Um, I guess the first thing I did, um, you know, uh, as a kid, I went to just every concert I could go to and just everything that came to Vancouver, I would go. Um, and um, then I joined uh, a kind of a an organization called Up With People. And they, you sort of join, they have these big casts, everybody performs, learns tech, uh, and you just travel around the world with all these really cool young people. And um, so from that experience, I learned about the actual technology, the electricity, how do you control lights? What do you do with it when you can control it? Um, so I kind of got a background in, it was like a, it was like a 
performing arts school is is the best thing I can liken mm-hmm. it to. Um, and then I went out. I, I moved to um, Nashville after a stint. I did a, a, a as a technician for a evangelist, a big television evangelist in America. Um, <laughs> you didn't have to sing the theme song. <laughs> no, I, I can't remember it. But um, the and then I moved to Nashville and got a job there uh, working for uh, quite a few country artists, uh, Tammy Wynette mainly, but George yeah. Jones, Waylon Jennings, that kind of. And I just started to go on the road and start to get paid to do lighting. So the lighting would reflect that country ambience. Yeah, and it was very, you know, not very conscious it was really just put up some lights and move them to the music and then i started to see and then we you know i started to get to vegas and los angeles and it just i started to see that actually there's not many people doing this and not many people thinking about what it is they're doing even if they are doing it um so i started to see that that was really a a valid form of expression that i could um yeah really find myself in so um and then that led to me moving to London. And uh, London must be. I just told you before we met London, or just as we met London, would have to be one of my favourite places in the world. Going to London, it would have been early eighties, mid eighties. Yeah, yeah, early to mid. Pretty exciting time. It was the it was, new romantic period had kind of just kicked in in the early eighties. Mm. Spanned out ballet. Mm-hmm. Really, everything would have been very dramatic at the time. It was, and and. Uh, yeah, and that's uh, you know that's a a great thing and can be a real challenge when everything is so dramatic. Um, I really value things that aren't dramatic these days. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a time of real energy, it was incredible energy and focus on um, that industry. So the the industry that is um, rock touring or music touring um, had just come through the '60s and '70s where. Um, people started to realize that um, a lot of um, artistic expression could be found there, a lot of money could be made there, um, and a lot of fun could be uh, experienced. And Bruce, how do you start working with people like you two and David Bowie, without sounding like I'm name-dropping, but, you know, that's an amazing achievement. How does that work? Was it so, they had seen your lighting shows? or Yeah, it sort of ends up, it's a pretty small industry, and I was working at, um, you know, smaller scales, um, doing, you know, any band that would come, but I started working my way up. Um, you know, David Byrne and Tears for Fears and um, different artists that don't have the huge budgets but they have they have an artistic consciousness about what they present um, and so I started working that either as a technician then as a, a programmer and then as you know I had to kind of come from being a designer in the states and go back to being a technician and then work my way up that way um, and then when I was um, working on um, David Byrne um, I met Willie Williams, who's the show designer for U2, and um, he and I became really great friends, and that began forging the relationship um, with U2. Um, I then, yeah, through him, I uh, got the job uh, working with uh, David Bowie and did six months with David and uh, on tour. So, and, and Bruce, how does it work? I mean, do they give you an idea of what they're after with a show, or do you present a series of concepts and say, this is the way I see the stage? Yeah, it normally is the latter, um, but it really depends on the artist. Some artists um, have a, a way of expressing themselves that 
is already visual um so they can they can see how their music would be communicated visually but most in my experience um are so adept and so great at communicating orally um um that they they they're open to ideas so we would normally present one two maybe three concepts um usually we we've already narrowed it down to our favorite but um develop, yeah g- generate one concept and idea and then present that to the band if they uh, like the feel of it then we develop it um, so for those who can't see the type of work you've done with you two i mean their music's in people's minds mm-hmm. visually how does the screen correlate with the music and how, how how would you describe the backdrops to say you too? So it's um, it 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 depends on the tour, but generally you have um, and it depends on the venues and how the the um, the venue is configured. How the audience uh, is it a three hundred and sixty degree audience or are they only in the front? So it's a hundred and eighty degree. So we start from okay, how where is the audience? How what can we put in the air on the ground, etc. Then we want to create some way of filling the gap between the performer and uh, the ceiling, essentially, um, with visuals that support the music. Um, and sometimes there is nothing there. Sometimes it's overwhelming what's there and it's the ability to theatrically um, deploy those looks um, as it goes through the show um, and to draw people in and what I know now is the key is to getting the visuals to support the music to keep people in their body to get them in their body and keep them there Mm -hmm. so that they don't drift into their heads and start thinking Um, they stay in their body that's what makes a connection between the uh between the artist the musician and the crowd and that's where the magic of the uh, the the audience is so whether the 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 backdrops are simple lighting backdrops mm-hmm. whether they're projections and running abstract visuals or uh, more literal visuals um or whether they're LED video, some, you know, it wasn't till really the early 90s, 92 in, on Zoo TV, where video and moving images became on stage. Mm-hmm. That's when we first moved it center stage. And that started to be create um, uh, a very alive canvas. Mm-hmm. So you're always trying to create some kind of motion um, that, that supports the music. Look, everyone listening, I would think would be fascinating to know what it was like working with David Bowie because he's such a great artist Mm. and has such a clear image of how he wants to be projected. How was that process? It was a very interesting time uh, in his career uh, to be with him and... um, What year are we looking at? We were looking at 1991 which was uh, he started a band called Tin Machine um, and so he essentially got rid of all the trappings of arena or stadium rock and went back to the clubs. So I went with him and we went to every, um, every dodgy club in the world. It was Mm. just, you know, wow. Mm. Um, so, and every venue of course was 
jammed beyond capacity. Hmm. Um, and, but it was, and he wouldn't play any of his earlier music. So he would only play Tin Machine music, which frustrated a lot of people. And, um, but it was a incredibly, as you see, it's a very clear, pure artistic stance. Very simple expression. Lighting. lighting was so simple. And, but, so powerful. It was one of the best shows I've ever been involved in. And um, how do you, how would you describe the the backdrop? The backdrop was a white psych um, uh, or cyclorama, as uh, as to use its full term, but just a white backdrop. Um, I used. Um, there was only one song in the show that wasn't white, so it was all lit with white light, um, various types. And there were oh no, two songs in the show that had any color to them. One was blue and one was like an oil wheel projection. But the rest of the show was lit starkly, very, almost brutalistically. Minimal. Yeah, very minimal, um, but also um, hard edges and uh, wouldn't reveal much. So it caused a kind of a... It caused a. It supported a kind of anxiousness and a aggression that the music um, that the music was putting out there. It's interesting how um, you know architecture, design, music. It all gets interrelated. Mm-hmm. And in the early nineties, it was a very minimal. It was a recession mm-hmm. worldwide, but it was mm-hmm. also a very minimal period. Yeah. So he's kind of responding to the economic times as well yeah i suppose he was and i suppose at the time um he had been through he'd done everything you could do in terms of um shows and concerts in large venues with all the trappings lots of trucks full of equipment and hundreds of guys and costumes and characters and you know so he'd done that he had he'd he'd been the king of it and um so this was something like and i find that that's something maybe we all go through is okay i've i've done that so who am i again What, what was it i started out as um and so i think I think in that period he may have, and I'm I'm not speaking for him at all, of course, but there's a time when I think many of us lose ourselves in what we do and forget who we are. And I feel like that was a, really at the who? time I felt like an attempt to, to redefine who he is, not by what he does, but by who he is. Um, Bruce, you, you came out to uh, Australia a few years ago. Yeah. Settled in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Why Melbourne? Oh, Melbourne was where my partner uh, is from, uh, and so uh, it wasn't. It was particular. It was more a heartfelt decision than a uh, than anything I consciously thought. You know, I mean, I've always known Melbourne is a a great city um, for um, a lot of reasons, um, and it, they're not they're not obvious. They're not glaringly obvious um but discovering yeah it's about discovering and the life in melbourne is in the gaps i find so that um you know it's in the laneways it's in all the that's where the life is so that someone who comes here can see the the you know can see the botanical gardens and the art center and all the things that are touted as uh tourist attractions but the more one lives here it's it's i I see the life where the developers didn't do anything and the people actually uh, made their way so yeah I, I actually really love it here although you're based in melbourne now uh you tend to get quite a lot of work in sydney yep sydney Brisbane. and people who don't 
will remember your work with the work that you did um, for the uh, 2010 with the Opera House lighting. Yes. With... Yeah, so 2009 uh, was the first time we did projections on the Opera House. Um, and uh, so I was approached by them. I was a design mentor at the Opera House at the time. Um, and they wanted to do something for a new festival called Vivid, um, which is obviously now very popular. Um, at the time, it was uh, um, in its nascent stages. And um, uh, they had an idea to get an international artist um, to project images onto the Opera House. So they contacted me to see how I could help. Um, and um, we got Brian Nino to agree to be involved. So you suggested Brian, or was that... Uh, it was something? sort of a joint. We, there was a list, and uh, I uh, that he seemed perfect for it, um, in that it was... I felt what it wanted to be was not literal. It really wanted uh, a literal image projected on the... Uh, on the sales, I felt it was really important that it was um, abstract and figurative. Um, he seemed a perfect fit for that, um, and because they also wanted someone who could be involved musically and develop other works within the opera house, um, so he seemed to be a, a perfect fit for that. Um, and then my role in that was largely facilitating it. Um, trying to, you know, find the right projection company, which Electric Canvas did the projections brilliantly, and I believe still do. Um, and um, so, and then so getting the Opera House and Brian to me, to, you, nobody can see my hands on the podcast, mm -hmm. but the Opera House was kind of aiming uh, sort of at about 30 degrees, and Br Brian was aiming at about 90 degrees, mm -hmm. and so it was really just trying to, to bring them together um, to make it work. Um yeah, so so that was... Uh, and what was the brief for that project? Um, what were, were the type of images that they were after? They weren't, they weren't really clear. Um, the, the, there wasn't really much of a brief. It was, we want to project onto the house. Is Can we? Should we? Is that a good idea? And all of those, uh, the answer to all of those was yes. And um, But in... As I knew from the past, most of the projections done in the past weren't bright enough to have much impact. Um, so I had to um, encourage them that if we're going to do it, we you've got to invest in enough, basically enough brightness to make the images punch. Because you have to project from such a, a far distance to make it um, not keystone and not become a... a a distorted blurry. image or blurry image, um, and so because they on one side it was projected from the overseas passenger terminal, which is 450 meters away, mm -hmm. so um, you know it had to. It ended up being uh, 14 um, 20k uh, video projectors on one mm -hmm. side, and uh, a pile of film projectors on the other side. So then 2010 we refined it a little bit. We actually got rid of the project the film projectors and just did it on the one side on the mm -hmm. circular key side. Um, so, and that was with Laurie Anderson and Lou Reed. Laurie did the projections. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, then did that that year, working with them. And then um, I moved on to other things, and I believe they still still do it quite successfully. The other project that you did in Sydney was the... Uh, Commonwealth Bank. Commonwealth Building. Bank, and mm. the permanent uh, lighting installation at 
which you can see every night, apparently. Yeah, that's correct. It's uh, it runs seven nights a week, um, and it's um, essentially there are lights installed in each of the window of two buildings, which form the headquarters of the Commonwealth Bank. In which street is it? It's in Darling Quarter, so it faces um, Tumbalong Park, um, and uh, right at the south end of uh, Darling Harbour, um, and which was once quite a derelict area. Now it's really thriving and beautiful down there. Um, and um, the developer, Lendlease, approached me to um, see if anything was possible. It was late stages of the development. The building was there. Um, so it was something we, we you couldn't drill holes, run cables, all that. So we had to develop a, a system that um, was quite light in its uh, impact on the on the building. So there's a light in every window and the way we, it's quite a sophisticated control system that allows um, us to control the lights using a video signal. Um, but what was key about that, um, there's a two points I'd like to just say about, and they, they sort of form a bit of a hallmark of, of my current work, which is um, the gentleness and um, non-imposition of the work, so it doesn't impose itself on the viewer. It allows the viewer to come to it and stay as they are. It's not you're not washed with light. It's not a it's not something that projects out of the building, and it's it's a very gentle piece. The other is. Um, the whole community engagement strategy that that came with that design. So people can actually walk up to a computer or a, a tablet outside the building and become the part of the creative process in that, in that lighting. Yeah, so they can you, change the colours completely if they want. They can, and they um, and that was a, a really big part of the design. It was central to it, to be honest. So there are touchscreen kiosks that you that a person can use um, to uh, to paint on it, to play. The, we made some really kind of childlike games. There's Pong. There's um, just different games that you can play on this 150-meter wide canvas. But you're not restricted to the kiosk. You can play on your tablet or your phone. Um, you can sign on and you can paint on this massive canvas. And I think that, I feel that that's um, it sort of heralds a new way to think about urban design where um, what it looks like, what the color is, how it feels, gets to be determined by the, the user, by the person who inhabits the space, mm. not by a designer from far away. Obviously, there's a lot of design work that goes into it, but allowing that, facilitating the the, the inhabitant to be able to have a say in what happens. So much of our cities are designed um, by urban designers. Yeah, and they do, uh, in, in, in some instances, they do a fantastic job. In others, it's just a building I have to find how, how to get around. I can't, there's nothing I get to say about what it looks like or what it does or how, I, how it interacts with me. And I'm one of the people who live here, so um, I feel like I should get, have, I get to have a say in my environment. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that in my own small way, I, I don't hold grand illusions, um, but um, I think that it heralds a new way to think about how we design urban spaces so that those who inhabit it um, get to um, have a say in what, how it looks, how it works. Bruce, when you're looking at a lighting program for a building, obviously the architecture is integral to the way you are yes. going to present a series of design options or lighting mm. options, whether it's an interactive piece or whether it's, you know, a very consistent piece. How do you work with architects, for instance? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question. It's, it's, 
I guess um, I get I take their lead. So in the case of um, in the case of Darling Quarter, uh, the Commonwealth Bank building designed by FJMT. Um, it was such a beautiful, gentle building. It has this one simple, gentle curve, and to me, it it was not a. It was not you know saying, "Look at me, look at me." It was um, just. It was making its own strong statement. So I really look as I used to in with music. I still do, um, as I do with music. I find out, or, or I, I feel into what the essence of the, of of what is wanting to be conveyed so is it elegance is it um aggression gentleness mm -hmm. and back then aggression i think if i if i came across a building that had a sort of brutalist architecture a very minimalist architecture i'm not sure i would um i would try and support that i would try and reveal it i would try and expose it as for what it is um so um i i'm not a particularly aggressive person and uh i think that my own work is really more towards um softening and gentling um making gentling is not a word but uh, making a space more gentle bruce are you still working with rock bands in australia or? um i am i wouldn't call them rock bands but i do i work with uh, guy sebastian um i do uh, design his shows and work with him um, um a fair bit have done for the past few years um, and there's others to come um, that I can't really talk about now, but it's, um, uh, yeah, so I'm still keeping my hand in that world, and uh, um, I I don't travel as much as I once did, which is a blessing, And uh, but yeah, I, I still love designing um, systems and creating visuals for music. It's beautiful. Bruce, it's just been a pleasure having you on the show today. You've been with um, Bruce Ramus, a lighting artist, and you've been listening to uh, Talking Design presented by Stephen Crafty. Thanks so much, Bruce, for coming in today. Thank you. And it's just a pleasure. And uh, I'll, I'll look much more closely at the lighting when I see a band next or when I see a building next, but it's wonderful to meet you. So thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you, Stephen. My pleasure. Thanks for listening.